So, everyone, this is Steve. Good morning. Otherwise known as Steve Chong. Yes, otherwise known as. Yep. yep. Uh, Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself. You, you're here with a beautiful lady here. I am, yeah. We just met on the street on the way in, and yeah. I just know. <laughs> this is Naomi, everyone. You can say hi, Naomi. There she is. Uh, I'm, we know each other pretty well. We've been married for 11 years, and she's lovely, and we love. We've got, um, we have four children. Four kids. Four kids. Age group. So some of you right now are like, are you, I mean, I've got this Asian young thing going on, right? So like, everyone's looking at me like, he's 25. No, 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 no. We've got four kids. Uh, so we're both 37. Uh, we have uh, four kids who are eight, six, four, and two. So two boys, yeah. two girls, and they are, we are child-free this awesome. weekend. And we have, yes, come on, parents, you know how we're feeling right now, don't you? <laughs> Parents, there it is, child-free, and so they're with my parents at the moment in Sydney, yep. and we're having, we'd planned on having a good time in Melbourne, although we got sick yesterday, so. Yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been tough, which Steve will probably talk about a little bit later, but the, the question I had was, I guess, tell us a little bit how you, because um, here at Canterbury Gardens, if you're visiting, we believe uh, in Jesus, and Jesus is someone who's involved in, every, uh, in our everyday life, and how did you come to meet Jesus? You know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So I had, um, my... My, put your hand up if you've grown up in a Christian home. You've know, grown up in a Christian home, there we go, a lot of the church. You know, I, I, um, I have that same story. And at that point, you know, it's interesting. I always kind of used to envy those guys who could get up and go, you know, that was that moment, I was walking down the street, and I, you know, I looked up in the sky, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. And actually, I've realized, come to realize now that being taught about Jesus and hearing about him for, for as long as I can remember is the most, the most amazing blessing would you guys agree? Just put your hands up. Amazing blessing. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? And you know, look at the. And it's really cool. The whole stack of the kids are putting their hands up, right? And isn't that that is um, my favourite thing I've seen so far awesome. at church here this morning? I just the the way that I can see how you've integrated your kids into a life and community of faith. That is so key. And for me, that was the story. I've, I've grown up. My parents uh, became Christian around the time I was born. They kind of had a Buddhist background. And I've grown up knowing about Jesus. Of course, all along the way, as you guys know, with your hands up, you have moments where you decide, is this my faith? Is this my parents' faith? Uh, and you, you kind of own it for yourself. So I had a number of moments along the way as a teenager, as a young adult, where I kind of realized I want to make my whole life about Jesus. And so that's, awesome. that's our story. Yeah. I've had the privilege to get to know Steve, both from a distance, but also in different sort of friendships and connections that we have. And uh, Steve's been involved in pastoral ministry, but recently he's uh, taken over a, a gig, I guess a role specifically. Mm. Uh, tell us a bit about a rice movement, uh, help us understand that. I mean, something Asian maybe, I don't know. <laughs> something Asian yeah. maybe. Of course, it's called rice for goodness sake, of course it's Asian. Okay, cool. Absolutely. You know, uh, that's right. So we, um, I, I was senior pastor of a church for seven years and we've now moved into an organization that I really used to just do kind of in my spare time that um, I was involved in starting 14 years ago, mostly amongst Asian Australians, and it's, uh, it, that's kind of my usual place I'm at. You know, I'm normally with a whole lot of Asians, so I've kind of come in here and I've looked for the Asian, and um, I, I, of course he's on the piano, of course yeah. he's on the piano, right? I mean, that's where I'll, and the, on the video, we've got the video and we've got the piano, and that's kind of fitting really well, so aunt, wherever you are, she was good on the piano. Yeah, good Man, hand. auntie, where are you, auntie? That, she's great. Yeah, auntie, excellent. Give her a chair. Yeah. I mean... I was there going, that, that'd be right, you know, our, the Asian plays the piano the best. And so, we, 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 as soon as we're born, Chinese play the piano. That's just how it is. Like we, um, 
So we, 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 in Sydney, like in Melbourne, in some places in Melbourne, in some places in Sydney, and in fact, a lot of our major cities in Australia, we are seeing a massive growth in uh, Australian-born Chinese uh, communities. That is, um, people whose parents were born overseas in China or in different parts of Asia and have grown up and feel really Australian. So you, you listen to my accent, you, you know, I, I sound Aussie, I feel Aussie, I can't speak Chinese, I, you know, I, I actually can't. So I'm actually really Aussie, yet all my uh, DNA, my work ethic, you know, I play piano, I study hard, you know, all that kind of <laughs> stuff, right? That's what Asians do, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And all of that kind of fits me in another kind of box that, that I kind of relate to. And that, that big group of young people, God is really moving amongst um, in Sydney. And, I, and so that's, God has formed this youth organization called RICE, where we evangelize through those networks. And we're seeing, I, I don't know how to say it to you, but except to say, hopefully this is something that encourages you, we, we are seeing so many young people come to know Jesus. And I hope that's exciting for you. And I can see from the smiles and nods and, and that, that what kind of church you are, because that should excite you a lot. Because we're seeing young people come to know Jesus, heaps of them, like hundreds and hundreds of them. And we're seeing a real special blessing from God on that. And so, you know, it's, my, my burden is, is for that in Sydney and, you know, hopefully one day in Melbourne and whatnot. You know, Shabu put us up in a hotel and he put us up in this suburb called Glen Waverley. And there is Asians everywhere. I mean, like, I was at home. I'm like, Shabu was apologetic as we drove in. He goes, look, there's a lot of Asians. I didn't do it I wasn't on purpose. apologetic. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm home. This is great. And I walk past, there's the ducks hanging in the window, and I'm like, this is home. We're here to look after you. Man. Thank we're you. I'm feeling really, 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 really happy. But yeah. look, um, pray for the rice ministry. That's what we do, and we love seeing what God's doing. So uh, just to step in a little bit here, right, um, Steve's probably playing rice movement down a little bit in that. God is, um, if you go to their website, you'll see that you just recently had Lou Giglio from Passion come um, to preach and to evangelize and so on. So these are like big events, but what they're doing is they're influencing the next generation of leaders, particularly the Australian-born Chinese community, but it's also now influencing further. So um, it's a great movement. I'd encourage you to check it out and be involved in that. We're going to hear it from Steve soon. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to hanging out with some young adults this afternoon. Yes, is that right? right. Yep. Is that like pretty much that side of the church, plus a few? Pretty much. Pretty much yeah, right. we're so we're going to hang out, out and I'm yeah. look, we're looking forward to cool. that. Yeah, so it's going to be good. I'm going to pray for oh, the kids. Hey, look, John snuck over the young adults, mate. <laughs> well, get back in your age group, mate. Get back in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting out of control. Uh, let me... Hey, bro, go grab a seat. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's done. Right. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Uh, friends, we're going to pray for the kids as we've been sharing. Uh, if you're... Uh, Jesus, we want to thank you for the gospel. We want to thank you that uh, it's true, and we want to thank you for your servant, Steve. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would settle our hearts and minds to hear what you're saying to us, both in liturgy but also as a community. And pray particularly for Steve this morning, that you'd empower him to proclaim your truth. May we walk away knowing you more for your, for your son's name. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Thank you for the warm welcome. It's been a lovely church service so far. Uh, it has been really, really wonderful. The musos have sounded excellent, and we felt really warmly welcomed. So thank you for having us here. Uh, and um, we've been a little bit sick and under the weather, so we've, I've kind of slept for a long, long time last night. And uh, we're, we're very much looking forward to seeing what God will do regardless, because uh, I believe that whenever we open up God's Word, do you believe this? Whenever we open up God's Word, that God, by His Spirit, as He takes those words, 
will speak to us. Do you guys believe that? You do? That's a, that's a great... Man, you guys are a responsive church. I'm feeling the love. This is good. This is good. You know, I, I really believe that. So, I actually, I actually believe that when God takes up His Word, He will speak to us exactly where we're at, which means we should be expecting, expecting that God would work today. And so I'm going to pray that He does that. I'm going to pray that God takes up His Word from Exodus chapter 2 and uh, takes it home, presses that Word really home to us. We haven't read that out, have we yet, as a, as a group? I wonder whether I should do that, because I would not planned on doing that. Should we do that before I pray? Naomi, do you mind coming and reading the Bible for us? It's a bit of a, there we go, last minute, last minute thing. Is that okay? So we'll read, and then we'll, um, I'll preach for you. Ex- Exodus chapter 2, 1 to, yeah. Okay. Uh, Exodus chapter 2. Hello? Oh. <laughs> Hi. Uh, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1, starting at verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much that we get to have your very words sitting here in our laps in a book. And we thank you that your word is not dead, but it is living and active. And I pray, Father, that today, as your word goes out, you would prepare our hearts. And that you would speak to us exactly where we need it. Father, I pray over this church. I don't know them, they don't know me. But you know all of us intimately. And you have a purpose for each of our lives. And Father, I pray that today you would wake us up out of any complacency that we have when it comes to following you. I pray that you would take us and you would use us and you would embolden us to do what it is that you have for us. God, I pray that this won't just be another Sunday, but this will be some particular Sunday where we know with full certainty that you are going to change our lives in a way that pleases you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the book of Exodus. Uh, some people call it the Gospels of the Old Testament, the Gospel of the Old Testament, because so many of the themes that you guys know and love through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John of redemption and rescue, and all of that are in the book of Exodus. And I can't wait to get into this passage, because here in Exodus chapter 2, 
we find one of the most well-known stories. But I think a word that God may have for us today as a church, a word that will cause us in this season that you guys are in to step out boldly. You guys are in the book of Acts, right? What does it look like? What would it look like? My aim today is for all of us not just to hear a nice talk. My aim today is a a longing, is that God takes where we're at, takes us and moves us out of complacency and makes us be people who are faith-filled, who are people who believe and understand that when God calls us to do something, we can go. You know, it's, it's funny, when it comes to the whole picture of God uh, taking us somewhere, it, it, it's scary because the moment you think about when, where does God want me to be, does he want me to do something that's a bit out of the norm or out of my comfort area, the moment we think about that, we get nervous because we like to be in control. We, we don't like to let go, do we? I mean, I, I presume you're all like that, right? Like, to some degree, we've got our own little world set up. We've got our things that are comfortable. We've got those areas of people that we like. We've got our our friends, our Christian friends. We've got some friends that don't know Jesus. Those guys we have a different style of talking to. And we kind of boundary it all up and set it all up so that we're kind of safe. But there's no room for that in Scripture. In fact, God calls us to be constantly stepping out for Him into areas, into places that aren't safe that require us to rely on Him. And my question today for us is, how are we going to do that? Because you get up here and you hear a speaker again and say, let's do that. And all of us, I mean, this is an easy environment to talk about this in. Because when you're at church, we're all like, yeah, of course we want to do that. And then we get out the door and we kind of go, oh, we're back to our safety until next Sunday when we come back together. And my longing and hope is that that becomes something that infuses all our life, following Jesus with it all. And so today... I, I want to ex- encourage us to think about what are the things we need to either be reminded of or to grasp hold of more fully in able to step forward in faith more boldly. Can I say that again? What are the things that we need, the truths that we need to grasp hold of more strongly or take on more fully in order to step forward in faith more boldly? Everyone got that? That's what we're trying to go for today. You know, put your hand up if you can remember riding a bicycle for the first time ever. How old were you? Do you can remember? Anyone, anyone remember that? I mean, who, you reckon you were under, anyone under, under 10? Under, under 8? Well, <clears throat> under 5? Wow, man, some of you athletic early on riding bicycle people. You know, we've just, we've got four kids, so um, two of our kids can ride bicycles now. And we've just gone through that phase, and um, obviously some of you... Dads who've done this, um, we're, I'm, we're, you know, we're in an early phase. That, 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 put your hand up if you've taught someone to ride a bike before. Hand up. You know that feeling, right? That's a, that's a pretty special experience, isn't it? I mean, the first time we taught our kids to ride a bike, my first son to ride a bike, that feeling when, you know, they're wobbling everywhere and you think, how are they even going to do this? Like, it doesn't even make sense. that It defies their logic. They're like, I can't even balance on this. And you really want me to keep going? You really want to let go? And that feeling when um, they start pedaling and they're kind of wobbling and they're kind of like, don't let go, don't let go. And you're thinking, even goes against my logic as a dad. Like, I know if I let go and push, we may have some grazed knees on the other side of this push. But what they need is that push. So it's really weird. As you teach someone to ride a bicycle, like, you know, you're hanging on to the back of the bike or however you do it. And you're hanging on and you think, I don't think I even want to let go of this bike myself as the dad. 
and it goes against your own logic and you just give that, that push or you go down the hill and you think, I don't know why I'm doing this and push. And then you, you hear that kind of like sometimes a squeal or they fall over or that moment when they start and they start pedaling. And they just start going and that feeling, you may remember it when you first started riding and you start riding and you're balancing and you think, I'm, I'm going. You know that feeling, I'm, I'm, it's happening, I'm going, it's happening. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because our kids, they, they had that moment, it's great and the parent, and as parents we're cheering, we're like, yes, you can do it, keep going, keep pedaling and they're like, ah, and then boom, boom, ah, and off they go. And you know, it's funny what a fall does to that because... My, my kids, they were going great and having a good time. But what, two things happened. For one, of, one of my boys fell over. After he was riding pretty well, like he fell over. It wasn't even a big fall. But he kind of fell over, got kind of tangled up in the bike, got a bit kind of traumatized by it. I was on the other side of the oval, so some stranger came over and, you know, this um, really big guy came over to my five-year-old. So, you need some, like, kind of looked like Nathan. I mean, Nathan's a scary-looking man, right? I mean, like, come on, right? Nathan comes like, oh, my gosh, Goliath's come. You know, and, 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 and he came over to the, to, and, and, and like, he was was like, oh, you know, all scared. And then the bike tires kind of got flat because he didn't want to ride for a little while. And it was fascinating. The other day we took him out to ride a bike. And we're like, you know, you can ride a bike now, so we're fine. You know, he's six, year old, six years old, he can ride a bike. And we took it out and he starts crying. No, no, ride, no, I don't want to ride, I'm going to ride. I'm like, mate, we, we don't have to do this all over again. Like, you can ride a bike. He said, no, 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 I can't ride. And he was really upset. No, no. And he's chucking a real angry tantrum. I'm like, we've already packed the bike here. Come on, get on the bike. It's funny because as a Christian, we like this. You know the truths, don't you? You know God will look after you, don't you? You know that who God is. You know what he wants from you. Yet somehow the bike tires go flat. The faith tires go flat. And we kind of get comfortable. We put a packet away and we're happy. And then God sort of says, look, I want you to step out. Like some crazy Asian visiting speaker comes in and says, oh, God wants you to step out. And you kind of go, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that now. And I feel that too because I move into a place of complacency. And I wonder whether how many of us have parked the faith bicycle this morning. And how many of us are needing a bit of a push again. It's not going to be comfortable. But I want to know whether or not today God has that for you. And I'm not coming here saying, hey, look, we've got that worked out. Do you know what? At the moment, I'm petrified about something. I'm going to tell you something um, with some caution, just carefully, uh, with regards to a conversation that Naomi and I had the other day uh, with a guy who is the CEO of a company, just for security reasons, I can't name the company, uh, and um, uh, an organization, I should say, who... Um, sorry for my slowness, I'm just picking the words carefully, got to be careful, uh, who work with key underground contacts in the persecuted church. This is a seriously full-on ministry. Like, they go and talk to people who are getting persecuted for their faith, they have kind of covert kind of trips where they go over and they encourage them or they bring Bibles into them or that kind of stuff. And I'm just thinking, this is a crazy, crazy job. And I had a coffee with the CEO of this organization. I don't know him well at all. In fact, I've never met him. And he has a coffee with me, and by the end of the coffee, he, he says something really unusual. He says, um, so Steve, he says, I've heard you guys are living by faith at the moment, which is what we're doing at the moment. We, um, we're not earning money, we're just kind of living off whatever God brings us. And he says to me, he says, that's great. And um, he said, but he said, when you've seen these people who don't, forget about money, they, 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 they don't know whether they're going to be alive the next day. When you spend time with them, and you, you, it takes living by faith 
to another whole level. And then he says to us, he says to me, this crazy statement that I actually, um, I just had this moment where my hands got sweaty and I thought, you know, I'm a pretty faith-filled person. I think I could do this. I, I, could, I, sorry, I, could, I could step in faith. And then he says this. He says, Steve, I'm going to be, um, we, we're choosing three or four ministry leaders that we believe at the moment should go and experience this. And I said, okay, what have you got in mind? And he said, um, I want to take you and Naomi to, and I probably shouldn't name the country, okay, so uh, to uh, a country in the Middle East that uh, he said where they're at right now is right on the front line of where the ISIS stuff is happening. It's the front line. And he said there are people, Christians there, who are so who've been persecuted, who've been tortured. And he said, the only thing I need you to agree on first is this, that there's a very significant chance that you won't come back alive. And then he says, trying to, and I'm, he saw my face, and I was sitting there just like, my coffee's just gone cold. I'm, you know. And he said, um, and he tried to make light of it. So he said, or, or you won't come back in one piece. <laughs> and I'm like, is that meant to be funny? Or like, <laughs> you know. And he said, I'm dead serious. He said, I'd like you to go. We're going in three weeks. Like, Really? Um, and he said, I'd like you to come along with me. So I come back um, to, I just think about this, and I just come back to Naomi, and I'm like, well, you know, you wanted a holiday, but no, no, like, here's, here's, here's your, I just said, here's, and we, and we couldn't even think about it, like, our brains froze, like, what would you do? Like, we sat there and we thought, what are we going to do about this? We've got this crazy opportunity, we've got four lovely children, and so straight away our talks are like, you know, why would both of us go? Like, if something happens to one of us, then you don't want, you don't want four kids orphaned, you know? I mean, I'm, I don't want to donate four Asian kids to Mashabu, you know? How am I going to do this? What do we do? I'm, they can come your way if you want. But, like, here's the deal, right? What do we do? And so we decided, we agreed to pray separately about it and just not talk to each other about it, because every time we talked to each other, it just kind of got complicated. Um, so we prayed separately, and we both decided, um, we both decided that we're going to go. And we leave in, in two, two weeks, and we're pretty scared about it. And it's kind of like riding a bike all over again. Because you could say, you could get me in the corner now and say, Steve, you know, the, you know God's going to look after you, right? You know, God, and I'll be like, yeah, yes. You see, it's all the, it, this is the kind of choices that all of us have all the time. And my question is this, that's a situation that's very hard to step out in faith in, but what about in Exodus chapter 2? I mean, in Exodus chapter 2, imagine trying to be, imagine living in this situation. I mean, the persecuted church is one thing, and it's really horrendous and horrible what is going on there with believers being captured and tortured and killed for their faith. But what about, if you want to take it to another whole level, Exodus chapter 2, the scene opens, in, it's a, in many ways it's a Sunday school story. All of you have had your hands up before, all of you know this story. You know the story of, of the Exodus, you know the story of baby Moses in a basket, yes? Put your hand up if you know the story of baby Moses in a basket. All of you know, you've seen the pictures, and you know what's funny? There's kids out there in the Sunday school, you guys, um, you'll, you'll, hear the prog- uh, you'll hear that story and you'll nod and you'll smile and go, yeah, that was it. But actually, it's a really horrendous picture. The picture we're going into is basically nothing short of genocide. I mean, the story opens, have a look, um, in Exodus chapter 2. A man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. But the verse before that is this, chapter 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Just imagine this. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the river Nile, but let every girl live. I just, 
can, can you imagine the scene? The horror. Can you imagine living as one of God's people then? And you can hear the screams as guards come up to the door and they bash down the door and they snatch newborn babies from their mothers. And they take these, mother, these babies and they throw them into the river. And in these troubled times, a couple dare to get married. And that moment when it should be just the best news ever, some of you mums and dads here, have, you remember that moment? Or dads, dads, you remember the moment when your wife comes to you and says, I'll tell you something. And you go, what? Pregnant. And that moment when your heart's jumping, it's a moment of joy. Can you imagine this situation? I'll tell you something. Pregnant. And what are they straight away thinking? It's, I mean, it's got to be a girl, please, God. You know? We had boy, boy, all right? And I'll tell you, I prayed for a girl, right? On that third one. I mean, there's a different old level, though. These guys would be pleading. Please, don't let it be a boy. And then that moment, which is normally a joyous line at birth, you know, it's a boy. It's a boy. It's a boy. You can imagine the horror, the horror when that happens. And so what she does next in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 3, is this. She does something really extraordinary. Moses' mom tries to hide her baby for a few months, for three months. Now, if you've ever had a newborn baby, you know that hiding a newborn baby for three months is near impossible. They aren't quiet, are they? Uh, and so you can imagine what she's trying to do. She's there trying to hide this baby for, three, baby for three months, and then that moment happens when she can hide him no longer in verse 3, and this, mums, mums, you will feel the weight of this. And in fact, all of us should. Something that is unimaginable, that goes against every natural instinct of a mother, in fact, any natural instinct of any human being, is to pick, take a, a three-month-old, beautiful baby. And then she takes this baby... And she puts the baby in this basket. And just, just get in her head right now. Leave the nice, interesting, happy Sunday school story aside for a second. And just be the mum. As she puts Moses into this basket. And as she, just, the, just what must go through her mind as she pushes the basket out. And not to any river. There's not a little creek here. This is the Nile River. And she pushes the baby out into the Nile River. In almost, I've read a commentator who said, in almost a creative act of disobedience, you know? Isn't that fascinating? Pharaoh said, throw all the babies in the Nile, she puts her baby into the Nile. And this is not just a river, this is a big river, and you know what's in the River Nile, don't you? We got like crocodiles, hippos, we got all the kind of wild stuff going on there, and out the basket goes, and she pushes the basket out. And right now, as you look at that story, it looks like God has lost. It looks like Pharaoh has won. And you can imagine the basket going down. And in verse 4, the mother says, go off and she tells her daughter, Miriam, go and look at what's going to happen to this basket. And, And can you imagine Miriam as she watches the basket kind of going down the river and thinking, what's going to happen? Like, is it going to get eaten? 
This is a very traumatic picture. What's going to happen? Is, it gonna, um, is, it, is the bus going to tip over? Is it going to drown? And what's going to happen? The bus is going down. And can you imagine her absolute horror? When just as she's looking around the corner and the bus is going down, she sees someone. And she thinks, oh no, someone's going to find this basket. And she looks carefully, and it's not just anyone. She looks carefully and she thinks, oh, it is the daughter of Pharaoh. The daughter of the man who wants all the babies killed is coming down for a bath right then. And just exactly at that moment, as she's coming down, she sees the basket and she takes the basket and she opens up the basket and she looks and she says, oh, a baby. And right now, this moment could not possibly get worse. Now, in terms of a great sister, put your hand up if you've got a sister. Anyone have a sister? I'll tell you what, right? You want a, you're a good sister? I'll tell you what, this is... A, some, some, right. <laughs> I tell you, you want a good sister, Miriam is a quality sister, man. She is smart. She is a very smart girl. She is probably Asian. No, no, no. And she is quick, man. And man, how fast is this? This little girl, she just jumps up. And at that point when the baby's crying, obviously hungry, and she goes down there and she goes right down and she says, you know, I think the baby's hungry. And, um, and she says, look, um, I happen to know someone who's ready to feed a baby right now. And, the, and, and, and Pharaoh's daughter's like, good, go and get her. And you just think that moment where Miriam goes, yeah, I know someone, yeah. Uh, and her mum's just around the corner. And then she goes and gets her mum, Moses' mum, comes back all ready to feed the baby. And the baby goes to her and Pharaoh's daughter then says, you know what, that's fantastic. On top of that, I'm going to pay you. I want to pay you to feed the baby. I mean, some of you are kind of laughing. You're meant to laugh. It's just ridiculous. You know, moments ago, there's this mother pushing a baby out into the reeds, saying goodbye for the very last time. Moments later, the baby's back in her arms, being fed, and she's paid. Right? A woman in poverty is ended up paid by the daughter of the man who wants the baby dead. And you know, this mom, she's... It's fascinating. She had to give up Moses twice, you know. So she, she got, took him to the age of weaning, which is probably about four or five years old. And then she had to give Moses back to the palace. And that story is one of the most famous stories ever. And my question that I've got is this. What can we learn from it? What are the things that we can see in that story that help us think about this question of faith? Of stepping out in faith? Well, the first thing is this. Now, the first, I, I'm nervous about calling this point the word I'm about to say because I reckon for a group of people who've gone to church a lot, this is when, when I say this next word, you tune out. I do. And I don't want you to. Ready? Here we go. The first part of this story, the first point that this story is about is about a word called salvation. Now, you all go, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Baby got saved. Saved. God saves. Got it. Right. And I'll say to you this. Let's stay tuned. Because I believe that there's some, there's some things in this story that you'll find that you may not have ever noticed before and will help you grasp onto understanding salvation and God's saving, saving nature. For example, right, you know, the whole book of Exodus and this whole section with Moses there's this, in Egypt, there's a big play between Pharaoh who thinks he's a god and God who is God. And what happens is there's this fight. Who's going to win the whole time? And 
there's a whole lot of irony that comes through in the passage that you, and, and kind of plays of words that help the reader who would understand that God is in charge here and God is doing the saving. For example, you know, um, the Egyptian word for basket, Egyptian word for basket, is actually a word that sounds almost exactly the same. So as a, uh, as the, so the, no, so let me try again. The Hebrew word for basket sounds exactly the same as the ancient Egyptian word for coffin. Isn't that interesting? So people read that and you think, uh, the Egyptians might see that like a, a tomb of death. In fact, actually, it's the basket itself whereby God is going to provide life. And here's something else that's interesting. You know, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for basket that is used there is used only one other time in the Old Testament. Now, put your hand off if you know what the Hebrew word for basket is translated as in English. Anyone know? Hand, oh, hand up. Oh, man, look at that. We've got some smart people over in the corner here. All right, you won't believe this, and I want to see how your Bible knowledge is going on here. This is nuts. The Hebrew word for that papyrus basket of which the mum put Moses in, the Hebrew word for that basket is ark. Ark. Now, you better, let's see how good you are here. Ready, ready? Please tell me you know of another story in the Old Testament (laughs) that has something to do with another kind of ark that is put into another set of dangerous waters of which all of God's saving purposes are in. Someone tell me the name of the man. Noah. And there it is, right? And this is no coincidence. If you don't believe me, I can, I can go further if you want. For example, in Noah's ark, in chapter 6, verse 14 of Genesis, you know what Noah's told to do with the ark? He's meant to coat it with what? Anyone know? Pitch and tar. The same words that are used with this. And she made the papyrus basket, coating it with pitch and tar. The same thing. This is, no, this is not like, oh, wow, coincidence. No, no, no. This is God saying this. What you need to see here in this action is God making an ark, is God doing exactly the same thing again, is God saving his people. Is God saving his people. Both these stories about salvation in the midst of death. And so my question this morning for you is this. Do you understand salvation? Do you understand that this story is 100% about God's saving? He's saying that this, firstly, there are some people here who may have gone to church for a long time. You may have been like me. But you've never really understood what it means to be in God's ark. That is, to be in His salvation. The ultimate place of that is Jesus on the cross. That's the ultimate place where you need to be clinging on to. My question for you is this. Do you understand that? I know some of you right now go, that's for the next person sitting next to me. It may well be. But I want to know this. Today you might have come along thinking, look, I'm I'm just going to go along to church as usual. But maybe you have never, ever given your life to Jesus and said, Jesus, look after me. Jesus, protect me. Have my whole life. If that's you, I can tell you right now why you're here this morning. You were here this morning to give your life to Jesus. That's why you're here. If that is you, there's no shame in the fact that you've been to church for ages or youth group for ages or whatever. If tonight you are apart from Jesus, then I'll tell you what, I'll tell you who I want to talk talk to straight after service. It's you. I want you to come straight up and I want to pray with you because you need to give your life to Jesus. Secondly, though, if God has saved you, 
My question is this. Do you thoroughly believe and hang on to that truth as everything that you live for? Let me try it again. So many of us here right now, if I say, has God saved you? You say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to heaven. No, no, I'm talking about this. Does the fact that God gave his one and only son, that he saved you like that, does that govern the way you think? Does that become the cause and the reason for why you do everything? Have you forgotten that? Has that become old news, like news that happened once upon a time and you've progressed from that now to bigger, heavier, meatier things? You know what? It always comes down to the same thing. Have you lost your grasp of the fact that God has saved you? Because I believe the more deeper you understand that truth, that simple, simple truth, it's not rocket science, that simple truth, the more you hang on to that, the better chance you have of being able to step out in faith and go forward in whatever it is that God has called for you. Another way to put it is this. The, 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 better, the more you're able to hold on to the big things like that, the better you're able to look at some of the smaller decisions in your life. And for some of you, some of you have lost that with salvation. So the first pillar is this. It's salvation. There's two pillars I'm going to talk to you about. Two pillars that you need to hang on to. And from these two pillars that you hold on to, then you can step forward in faith. The first one is salvation. Everyone say salvation. Salvation. That's it. So does God save you? Has God saved you? If he's saved you, then you know that he's working for your good. He's done the big thing for you. Amen? Okay, got it. Second pillar. So everyone's got salvation in the bank? You know that? From that point is the next, the next point is this. It's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. Everyone say sovereignty. Sovereignty. See, here's the deal. See, in this passage, it's a really fascinating story because there's a really important character that's not mentioned and is missing. Anyone notice who it was? His name is God. God was not in that page. He didn't say, and then God moved the basket. And then God did this. And then God did that. In fact, God is not in there. He has not been named. But I want to say to you this. The absence of God's name is not the absence of God's presence in this passage. The absence of God's name is not the absence of God's presence in this passage. In fact, he is everywhere through that story, as you know. All the way through the point. The reason why you get to the point when you laugh at the end when the, when the mother is paid to look after her own baby is for you to sit there and turn that laugh towards, man, isn't God incredible? He is in every single move, every single bit. It's like, you know, even, even the timing you know, of the mother going down and pushing the basket at that point, you know, Pharaoh's daughter's there and God's like, you need to take a bath now, you know, like, you know. And the way that he's drawing all that together right at that moment. And I believe that this is one of the biggest weaknesses that Christians face. One of the biggest reasons why we move to complacency is we forget to check for the fingerprints of God all over our life all the time. You know, you've seen those crime shows where they go into a crime scene and they dust the place for fingerprints. And they kind of come up and they see all the fingerprints of where everyone's been. Are you dusting your life for the fingerprints of God? How often do you get up in the morning and think, I can't wait to see what God has in store for me today. Now, every morning as we go to school, 
I pray the same thing with my children every single time, and they pray it themselves. They, or every morning they get up in the car, and from the car to the gate, school gate, they always pray the same thing. God, lead me through today. Show me what you have in store for me at school today. At what point did we grow up from that kind of childlike at one level thinking and kind of move on to bigger things and kind of look for God's fingerprints on Sunday when we get a top up? No, no, no. God's fingerprints are everywhere. Have you been dusting your life for the fingerprints of God? Because if you dust this story, you see God's fingerprints are everywhere. I mean, even if you look in the whole scheme of the Bible's big story, I mean, you might think, why wouldn't, wouldn't it be better for the basket just to kind of make it through the river, out through the river, all the way down to the next country? Kind of get out there and then Moses can just start again and have a normal life? No, you know why? Because, I mean, like, I mean couldn't he have been picked up by someone else? Maybe a friendly farmer down the road or something like that? Why? Why Pharaoh's daughter? Because if he didn't get picked up by Pharaoh's daughter... You know what would happen? He wouldn't have learnt the, 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 the ways of the Egyptians. He wouldn't have been able to go, walk into the courts of the Egyptians and know how to negotiate with Egyptian terms with the Pharaoh. Why was that important? Because apparently coming, and going in and telling, people to, telling Pharaoh to let the people go is something that's quite significant for God's story. You see, and, and he had to be going back to his mum. Why? So he can understand from very early years who his God is, who, the people, who his people are. God's fingerprints are everywhere. He is always working. And I want to ask you this question. Who is in control of your life? I really mean that. And this is going to get a little bit tough because I'm going to kind of push it in a bit more if you don't mind. I know I'm a guest, but I'm just going to try a little. How many of us really believe, really believe that God is in the driver's seat of our life? How many of us really believe that? And how many of us think that we are in control of our life? Do you believe you're in control? Do you believe God is in control? You know what I believe? I believe God is so in control that he knew exactly where you're going to sit this morning. That may not be hard if you sit in the same seat every Sunday. But right, he, knew, he knows exactly who you're going to sit next to. He knew exactly why you're here. He knows exactly what he wants to say to you today. He's ahead. Who believes that? So I hope you're longing for and listening. What does God have to say to me? Or do you think you're in control of your life? Do you have it all planned out? Do you know what's going to happen next? You know, in terms of control, I don't know about you, I'm a bit of a control freak. That is, I like to be in control. And to some degree, all of us do love to be in control. I mean, let's be honest. If you were God, don't think about that for too long, but if you were God and you were watching this basket going down the river and your job as God is to make sure you save the entire, uh, your, your, all your savings, sorry, if your job as God is to, all your saving plans for your people are resting inside that basket. Everything. And it's going down the Nile. I'll tell, what would you do? I'll tell you what I'd be doing, right? If it was me, I'd be jumping in, grabbing that basket. I'm like, no one's touching this basket, right? Everyone stay away from this basket. This is a very, very important basket. Can I tell you that at that moment in history, the entire plan for God saving the world was riding down the Nile River in a little papyrus basket? Do you realize that? And can I tell you that however frightening an experience it was for Moses, he was never safer than when he was in that basket. 
He was never safer than when he was in that basket. And you might be thinking, no, 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 you're watching this. This is the, this is the entire plan for the human race. I've got to jump in and grab the basket. We've got to go fix this. And God's like, no, no, you don't. I control the tides. I made the Nile River. I tell the water molecules where to go so that the river goes this way. In fact, I can tell Pharaoh's daughter to have a bath right now. Oh, well, the crocodiles, the crocodiles. I made the crocodiles. I can shut the crocodiles' mouths. I'm moving Pharaoh's daughter right down now. Don't worry about it. We've got this covered. I'm going to move the tide that way. Just like that. And how many of us think about life and we have our life all planned out. We think, we've got to jump in. It's, it's my house or my job or my car or my friends or my relationship. I've got to jump in. I've got to fix it. And God's like, what are you talking about? I made you. You can breathe because of me. I've got all of that covered. Don't you remember I saved you? Don't you remember I've given you my son? Don't you realize that I'm sovereign, that I'm in total control over every single thing in this world? I'm thoroughly scared of going to this Middle Eastern country. I'll tell you, I'm actually scared. I think Naomi's even more scared, maybe. She's pretty scared. We are not try not to talk about it too much. We had to sign the forms the other night, and it totally freaked us out. Pretty much, you sign, that's, when it just, when, that's when it just was like, you, you sign your life away. You basically give up, you sign, I give up all legal rights. And when you sign that, you, we've, we're going to contact to get our wills or make sure we're all sorted out. That moment when Naomi then, I was like, why did you do that? But she has to. She looked up the smart, you know, the smart traveler website. <sighs> that thing freaks me out anyway, man. She looks it up, she put the country in and it comes up and it says, first line, do not go to this country. Second line, if you're in this country, get out immediately. Third line, get out immediately while you still can because commercial flights are stop, have stopped flying into there because they're getting shot at. Uh, risk of becoming a hostage, very, very high. Please remind, remember, remember that if you become a hostage, Australians do not negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> right? And you read that and you sign that and you think, what's going on? And God's saying, do you know that I have your life in my hands? And you right now are thinking, what decisions are ahead of me? What things do I need to do? What does God want me to do? Does he want me to share my faith with some people that's going to make me look bad? I'm going to reject it. Who are the people that he's put around me? What does he want me to do? And God says, I've got that in control. You can step out boldly in faith. So my question is this. Here are the two pillars. Because he said, hey, let me give you the verse first. In Romans 8.32, he did not even spare his own son, yes, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also grant us everything? That's the same idea. Here are the two pillars. Salvation. Do you believe God has saved you? Everyone say yes or no. Yes? Okay, do you believe God's totally in control of everything? Yes or no? Yes. If you believe those two things, that God has done the greatest good for you, He saved you from death to life for all of eternity, and if you believe that He is totally sovereign and totally in control of all things, then when you hold on to those things, not just lightly or intellectually, but when you really believe them, then why don't you step forward in faith? From that point on, you can move forward and you can trust God because of his goodness to you and because he's totally in control. And I finish up with the last point then on faith. You know, as an Asian, I don't play much sport, but I, um, you know, we play table tennis and, you know. <laughs> I, but you know what? You know what? I, so I don't really even watch that much sport. 
But the sport that I will watch is, uh, normally the only sport matches I watch is when you've got the best of the best players, you know? It's not like I don't just watch, you know, the clubs versus clubs. I like, you know, if we're talking about, you know, whatever, soccer or something, it's like the socceroos, the best of all the Australians playing the best of someone else, you know, that kind of thing. Or, you know, when I used to be into basketball, the dream team, you know, the American dream team, the best of the best of the best all coming together. Now, my question for you, let's say, Put together your, I say to you guys, all right, you, you guys are picking the sports team. You've got the first round draft pick to pick the dream team of the Bible, right? I'll give you a squad. Who, who's in your team? Come on, who do you pick? Okay, Jesus is your team captain, all right, fine. <laughs> if Jesus is not your team captain, you're in trouble, right? Jesus is in the team, he's team captain. Who else, who do you want in your, who, who do you want, the, the kind of heroes of faith? Who do you want in there? Abraham, come on. I mean, apparently he's pretty important, Abraham, right? You know, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the whole of the Bible turns, right, uh, on, on that promise made to Abraham. Who else is in there? Who do you want in? Paul, apparently pretty important. You know, two-thirds of the, more of the New Testament written by him, right? Pretty important. Who else is in your team? You got, David, Peter, on this rock I build my church. Old Testament, who we got? David. Did someone say David? Apparently write, write the Psalms, most important king after Jesus for, uh, uh, for God's people. Who else is in there? Doesn't matter. Here's the thing, right? You know what? It's all in Hebrews chapter 11, isn't it? Have you seen that amazing roll call of the heroes of faith? Let me, so you don't have to bother looking it up right now. Let me tell you who's in there. Okay, it's all the heroes of faith. Let me tell you who's in there. Noah, of course, is in there. All of God's people saved from him. Abraham, of course. Joseph, yes, you think so. Important, you know? Important. David, well done. Samuel, what does it say next? All the prophets. That's cheating, man. All the prophets. <laughs> right. All these people, Joseph, David, Samuel, all the prophets. You know who else is in there? I'll tell you who else is in there. You know who else is in the Hall of Fame? Moses' mum. What? I just said Abraham, David, Samuel, Moses' mum. And you're like, I don't even know what her name is. You know, her name's Jochebed, by the way. But here's the thing. Why is Moses' mom in there? Why, what's she doing there in Hebrews 11 verse 23? I'll tell you what she's doing in there. Moses' mom is in there because Moses' mom had real faith, it said. Real faith. As she pushed out that basket, I believe, in reading Exodus through the lens of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23, I believe that Moses' mom wasn't just pushed the basket out going, oh no, what's going to happen? I believe she's pushing the basket out going, I know God's got this in control. I know God's saving purposes for my people. I know that God is in control of everything. Miriam, go and see. Not Miriam, go and see. Miriam, go and see what's going to happen. Go and see what's going on. And she shows faith in action. That's why she's in the list from Hebrews 11. In Hebrews chapter 11. And my question for you is this. Are you going to be like Moses' mom? Are you going to be like some of these people? Are you going to be like Jesus, who when the point came to dying, he says, not my will, but yours. What is it going to look like for you? What does it look like to step out in faith, Canterbury Community Gardens Church? What will it look like to be shaken out of this complacency? What would we look like if this church so believed that God saved them, so believed that his good was for your salvation, and so believed that God is in control, that at that point you say, on those two truths, I'm ready to step out. I'm ready in this season of this church to go out to our community and beyond. And even though I might be rejected, even though I might look silly, I'm going to take the gospel message out. 
You know, I was talking to Shabu just about where this church is at. And he loves this church so much and the people. And so does Nathan, John, and you guys are great. And my question is this, is there a new season coming in for your church? Is there a sense in which, as you're going through the book of Acts, that God is going to call you to mission? Is that going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'll tell you how it's going to happen. It's going to happen as God empowers you to remember how much he's done by saving you and remember he's totally in control. And on those two pillars, you can jump and you can step, for, step out. As I finish, I'll tell you a story. My little girl, Caitlin, she's my third eldest. She's four. First girl that we got, she's very cute. I like her. Boys are okay too, but she's not, no. <laughs> I really like her. And um, she, she's so cute. She's, um, she's four, and she, we've just got this, we had this point recently where she is learning to swim. You know that, parents, you know that dangerous time in, their, in a kid's age when they think they can swim, but they can't? You know that feeling? Where it's like, it's not like they know they can't swim. They think they can swim, but they can only just kind of keep their head above water a little bit, and you know that after a while they'd go under. And so this moment where... I love this thing. So just to kind of, for safety, when we go to a swimming pool, I kind of made this rule with her, a bit of a deal with Katie. And the, re- the, the rule is this. She gets to the edge of the, the pool, and I said, before you ever jump in the water, because I could be off, you know, distracted with the other kids. I said, before you ever jump in the water, I want you just to yell out, Daddy, are you ready? <laughs> right? Because I don't want her jumping in when I'm not ready. And so she's always at the edge. She's so cute, this gorgeous little four-year-old. She gets to the edge of the pool, and I just see her. And I might be like, you know, a number of meters away, and I just see her walking to the edge of the pool, and I see her yell out, Daddy, are you ready? (laughs) And it's so beautiful. And sometimes I'm like, no, I'm not. Wait, wait there. Do not move, you know. And I come a bit closer, and so she'll say, Daddy, are you ready? And I come up, and I'm kind of like, I'm like down here. She's up on the ledge, and I'm down here. And I look up at her, and that moment when I just look in her eyes and I say, yes, Katie, ready now. And that moment, all it takes is to say, I'm ready. And she just jumps off like a ballerina. She's like, like she's not a care in the world. Straight in the water, right? Smiling, joyful, and just, woo! Why can she do that? Why can she just jump? Why does she just jump like that? with no regard to anything, because, you know, she's there, and I've said I'm ready. And she knows Daddy will do anything. He will, anything he can to look after me, anything he can to save me. And Daddy apparently is strong and can fix stuff, and, you know, he can look after me inside the water. She knows I can do that. And all of us in the Christian faith are constantly on the edge of the pool. Some of us are not even getting up to the edge of the pool. My question today is this, are you going to get up to the edge of the pool? And are you there saying to your Heavenly Father, are you ready? And God's saying, of course I am. Are you serious? What do you mean, are you ready? I saved you. I've given you my son. And you're thinking, but God, can he manage it? What do you think I am? He's God. He made you. And we're in the pool and some of us go, God, are you ready? I'm ready to follow you. And he says, I'm ready. And we go, great, thanks. And God says, no, no. Jump. I'm here. We're going for a swim. And it's going to look like this, and this, 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 for all of you different people. But for this church, and for you as individuals, what's it going to look like to jump? Because your Heavenly Father's ready, and He wants to take you on a journey of faith. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Can I have some musos up? I'll get some musos up. Bow, bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray a bit. Please, everyone, would everyone please bow their heads and close their eyes while I pray over you?
There's a couple of groups of people here that I want to speak to as I finish. The first group, I want to talk to those guys who really need to step out in faith in a second. But my first group is this. Um, In a crowd like this, please, everyone's heads um, bowed and everyone's eyes closed, please. If there's anybody here today who does not know the shelter and protection of Jesus' love and does not know right now where they stand with God and does not feel like or know like they're in the ark and may have gone to church for a long time or maybe it's the first time and has not given their life to him, I would like to pray with you and only I will see that and so I'm just wondering whether um, you would put your hand up right now and I can pray over you. If, you. if that's you today and you want to give your life to Jesus, I would love to lead you that way. Let's see that if you can and I would definitely love to pray with you. So why don't I pray for you guys right now? I can see your hand in the back. That's great. I've got you in the back corner there. That's wonderful. Keep your hand up. If there's anyone else here, anyone else here who knows today that they need to give their life to Jesus, put your hand up. I've got my friend in the corner there in the back. Got you. Anyone else? Cool. I'm just going to have Shabu and John being able to look up as well. And um, let's just pray. Dear God, I just pray for those giving their life to you today. And I pray, Father, that they would know, in fact, they are sorry for their sin. They thank you, Jesus, for dying for them. Please come into their life and let them follow you from now on. And keep your heads bowed. I suppose you can put your hands down now, man. In Jesus' name, amen. Now keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, everyone else. Are there people here today who need to step more boldly in following Jesus' call? Is there someone here today who would like to be prayed for because you know in your network you need to be bolder for your faith? Or you need to step out and follow wherever God will take you. Maybe you may be a missionary one day. Maybe you sense that, that's where God's taking you. Maybe you need to step out and start going to ministry in a full-time way. Maybe you're a mum and you need to more boldly teach your children about the faith. Maybe you're in uni, maybe you're in work and you need to trust God more with everything you've got and you want to do that and you want prayer for that to be empowered in that way. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hands while everyone else's heads bowed and eyes closed. I can see you guys on the right and over in the middle section. In fact, there's hands everywhere on the left as well. Keep your hands coming up. Please keep your hands up. So let John and Shabu keep looking around and Nathan as well if you need to sort of um, be prayed for as well. So keep your hands up. There's heaps of hands on the left-hand side, in the middle and on the right. People everywhere who God is working in right now because they want to step out boldly in faith. Can I pray over you? Keep your hands up while I pray. Dear God, I pray for each person whose hand is up and I pray for everyone whose hand is up inside their heart too. They want to give their lives to you. They're sick of being complacent. They know you saved them. They're thankful. They know you're in control. They're thankful. And they want to step forward to wherever you'll lead them, for whatever you'll do. Father, I pray your blessing over them. Use them greatly and mightily in your name for the extension of your kingdom and for your glory. And I pray, Father, for Nathan, John and Shabu and the leadership team as they work with these guys and they pastor them through it. And I pray, Father, that this won't be another Sunday, that they will step forward from this moment on, constantly living out your call in their life. You can put your hands down now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. If you are someone who's put your hand up for either of those categories, please come and talk to me or the pastoral team straight after. That'll be very, very important. Well done for stepping out towards God and God bless you. Thank you for having me tonight. It's been great. Thanks.